we come to worship the Lord this morning. And if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke. As we once again come to open the scriptures of God, I would like for us to dwell upon a particular moment in the ministry of Jesus Christ where he performed two miracles and what those miracles teach us about how to approach and to know God today. So we will be in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote these words. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Would you pray with me as we go to the scriptures of God this morning? Let's pray. Father God, once again, we do thank you that in your divine providence, you have left us your holy word to guide us that we may glorify your name. And I do pray, God, that we will see that you've left us this account, that we may apply it to our lives, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word, to love like we see Jesus love in this passage, to bring people to him as we have been commissioned to do so. And I pray as we have taken this time to hear from your scripture and your word that you would speak to us today, not through my words, but through this holy text 
through your inspired word, may we be changed, more equipped to live for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. It's interesting if you consider the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry. Think of Lazarus. Lazarus was dead, and his sisters were heartbroken, Mary and Martha. And though they trusted in the Lord in the hope of a future resurrection, now because of his death, their fellowship was broken for the rest of their life. For the rest of their life, they would miss their brother. But then Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the dead, and fellowship is restored. Jesus one time healed a man who was born blind, blind his entire life, and his parents had to take care of him and help him, and then Jesus opens his eyes. Think about the disconnect he had as an adult who was still dependent on his parents, and and now because of this healing, he would be able to interact with his community in such a greater way, fellowship restored. It seems that every time Jesus does a miracle, there's this aspect of a restoration of fellowship. Think of the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his glory. And when they saw him in his glory, Moses and Elijah showed up. And there they are in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and the prophets of old. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in that miracle, what do we see? There is a fellowship. I would argue and say that every miracle Jesus does is connected to this truth, a restoration of fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with people. That's why I believe when we read this text today that we must make this application. When we read this text, I believe that God is calling us to embrace fellowship with all people. Look with me again. In Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. In Luke chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. In 2012, a pastor in Oklahoma named Dustin Buff and his youth minister, Philip Gouin, felt deep conviction for the homeless in their town of Norman, Oklahoma. So they developed an experiment. They would live as homeless men for 10 days. They took with them one change of clothes and a sleeping bag, and that was it. They felt fortunate that they could find food in this experiment. They would go to shelters in various places, and they could get two meals a day pretty consistently. But what they weren't prepared for was how difficult it would be to find a place to sleep. They went to some homeless shelters that were full, and they were going to give them floor space, but they didn't want to take that space from someone who needed it beyond their experiment. So they decided that they would come up with a plan. And they went to a local hospital and tried to just stay there all night, sleep in a chair. They thought maybe they wouldn't be noticed. And then security came and asked them to leave at 1 a.m. in November. And for the first time in their experiment, they were afraid. 
And they understood what it was like for one day to have resources and, and people to help you, and then the next day to be isolated, to lose that fellowship that had kept them safe. And they developed a new empathy for the homeless in their area. Friends, the man in this account who encounters Jesus could relate. His disfellowship, though, was no mere experiment. It was his everyday life. Every day a rejection. Every day being rejected by people. Leprosy covered a variety of skin diseases in the Bible. Yet this man probably had visible sores all over his body. His physical condition was such that he was losing fellowship with people. In the book of Leviticus, in Leviticus 13, verse 9, it says this. In Leviticus 13, verse 9, it says, When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look. And if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean, and he shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. So until the disease left, the man would not be able to enjoy fellowship with other people. So when this man sees Jesus, his pain is twofold. One, he literally is struggling with a disease in his life, bringing him physical pain and torment. But second, the social isolation of being cut off from people that being sick had brought to him. So imagine his joy. When though everyone had been rejecting him and turning him away, imagine his joy when he reaches out to this Jesus and Jesus responds to him. What do we read about this in verse 13? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus tells him to go to the priest. Why? Because the priest could declare him clean, could declare him healed, and his fellowship could be restored. Friends, this account of the physical healing of this man who has fellowship restored in his life points to a need we all have. We all have the spiritual sickness of sin. And until God heals us of it, we do not have authentic fellowship with the Father and with each other. But we also see that Jesus accepted a person who was rejected by others. Jesus accepted someone who was rejected by others. And the question this text confronts us with is this. Do we? Do we accept those who are rejected by others? If somebody is struggling with the disease of addiction and they walk inside of church doors, will we embrace them with fellowship because God loves them? Though their circumstances may have created social isolation, will we love them like Jesus would love them? If somebody should find themselves in any circumstance where they are rejected by others, will the church of Jesus Christ show them love 
where they have not encountered it before. Well, I think to love like that will require a love only God can give. To love others like that will require a constant interaction with the Father. Where, yes, the scripture today tells us we must embrace fellowship with all people. But we must also make this application. We must enter into prayer consistently. Look with me again in verse 15. We must enter into prayer consistently. Verse 15. But now even more the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. The power of Jesus caused many to flock to him. They pursued him with fascination, intrigue, and captivation. And this made Jesus in his earthly ministry famous and busy. Still, once again, verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We should want to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who are accepted, those who are rejected, everyone. But this is crucial. If we want to reach the people of this world, then we must make alone time with God a priority in our lives. Isn't that kind of strange? One of the best things we can do to reach this community and the communities beyond with the gospel of Jesus Christ is to get away from the people. For temporary moments of prayer, temporary moments where it's just you and God meeting with your Father through the intercession of Jesus Christ, waking up early or finding some other time in your schedule where you sit down daily and it's just you and the Lord, you and the scriptures, that will energize you to love like Jesus. If the Messiah needed alone time with the Father, how much more do we need alone time with the Father? You see, Jesus was here to reach the people of this world with his good news. But he knew that would never work unless he took time to leave the crowd, leave the people, and enjoy alone time with the Father. This text is saying we must embrace fellowship with all people. We must enter into prayer consistently. But we must make this application as well. We must eliminate obstacles that stop us from sharing the gospel. Look with me again in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men who were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed as they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Our times are dominated by a desire and a determination to advance technologically. And what are we striving to do 
with every single technological advancement that we have. The iPhone helps us to overcome the obstacle of distance. We can FaceTime and call loved ones with the push of a few buttons. We can overcome the isolation. We can overcome great distances and communicate. Each technological device that hits the market is overcoming an obstacle that once stood in our way. In history, the 1400s, mere sailing ships conquered the oceans as people started traveling from Europe to the New World and back. But now today, in 2020, we could literally get to Europe in a matter of hours through flight. We are even able to go into space. Humanity has reached the moon. We have overcome obstacles that past generations would have found seemingly impossible. I was watching the news one day and I found this fascinating story of an entrepreneur that you know of named Elon Musk, who incidentally headed the project that you may have watched this summer of the first private company to put people in space when they reached the International Space Station. Elon Musk envisions and, and has a hypothesis that man could create one day transportation that would get passengers from New York to L.A. in 45 minutes. His plan involves sending people through a magnetically controlled tube that he calls the Hyperloop. Now, I can't even get down to my hometown of Corbin, Kentucky in two hours by car. So imagine if one day you could go from New York to L.A. in 45 minutes. What a huge obstacle to overcome. Imagine the impact. Human beings, I feel like, are hardwired to see an obstacle and to desire to overcome it. And we see four men who refuse to let obstacles overcome them from reaching their goal in this text. Look with me again in verse 19. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd... They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So there are these four friends, and their buddy is paralyzed. And they have a goal. We've got to get our friend to Jesus. He has to encounter the Christ. And they could have shown up and said, the crowd's too big. There's no way we're getting in there. Let's just go home but they refuse to let obstacles stop them. I have a friend who told me one time that in college, he had a set of buddies, and they were playing pranks on each other. So one apartment would play a prank on the other apartment, and then they would up them, and my friend said it got out of control, the pranks that they were doing to each other. Well, one apartment really just started to suffer, and they were having pranks done to them inside their own apartment. And they said, how is this happening? You know, we, we keep our doors locked. We're the only ones who have keys. How do they keep getting in? Well, in college, in this apartment building they lived in, their apartments were side by side. And what they finally realized is that their buddies next door had sawed a hole in the wall right behind their couch so that they could crawl into their apartment, set a prank, crawl back, and put the couch right back where it was. I would say in that scenario, there's a landlord somewhere who wasn't too happy about that. So picture this. How strange would this be? How strange would it be if as I was preaching right now, just the ceiling opened up and a person was lowered down? That's what is happening to Jesus. There's a roof. There's now this hole in it. And here comes down this man 
And Jesus loves this paralyzed man so much that Jesus addresses his primary need. Look with me in verse 20. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. This man who is paralyzed, his greatest need is not physically to be healed. His greatest need is to be forgiven of his sins. And that's our greatest need too. That's the greatest need of your co-workers. That's the greatest need of your family. That's the greatest need of your friends. Our sins must be forgiven before we can be reconciled to God. Do you believe this? Do you believe that every person you encounter, and do you believe for your own self that the greatest need you have in life is to know and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that is what Jesus knows this man needs above all. And if we believe that is true, then like these four men, if we believe that, will we overcome any obstacle in our way to reaching people for Jesus? Now, you're probably not going to have to cut a hole in the roof of your church to get someone to Jesus. But you will face obstacles in telling people about Jesus. If you commit yourself to the good news of Christ, and you commit yourself to going and telling others about him, you will face obstacles. You will face those who attack your faith and attack what you believe. Look with me in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Even Jesus in his ministry faced ridicule. How much more will we today? There will be those who reject you, mock you, break fellowship with you because you tell them about Jesus. We will have to overcome obstacles of pride in which we want to avoid the awkwardness and fear of telling others about Christ. We will have to overcome obstacles of time. You may want to veg out and relax after working all day and God says, no, go get with your church. Go tell people about me. We will have to overcome obstacles of anxiety and feelings of inadequacy that we don't have the strength it takes to be a powerful witness for Jesus. But the good news is that we don't. We don't have the strength it takes to be a powerful witness for Christ. But Jesus has the strength and he willingly gives it to us. We will face many obstacles in telling others about Jesus. We are going to have to cut through some roofs. But if we really believe our greatest need is Jesus Christ, we will overcome those obstacles. Amen? After Jesus addresses the primary need, he addresses the man's secondary need in verses 22 through 25. Verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to them, to the man paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home 
glorifying God. You know what I think is ironic? They think it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, than rise and walk. But for Jesus to forgive this man's sin, there is still a moment in time that must happen. For this man's sin to be secure and forgiven, still beyond this moment, Jesus must be tortured. Still beyond this incident, Jesus must die. Or this man's sins cannot be forgiven. So which one is really easier? To say rise and walk? Or to say your sins are forgiven? I think it's to say your sins are forgiven. Only the God-man could do that. But Jesus caters to their misunderstanding. And he performs the miracle. And the man rises. And the man walks. And now through this ministry that Christ is performing here, we see that we must embrace fellowship with all people. We must enter into prayer consistently. We must eliminate obstacles that stop us from sharing the gospel like these four men did. But we must make this and perhaps the most important application of this text. We must ensure that our main goal is God's glory. Look with me in verse 25. And immediately he rose up before them, and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This man came to Jesus and Jesus affirmed he was saved, he was forgiven. Why should we overcome obstacles to get people to Jesus? Why should we long for people to encounter the Messiah? Because we love them? Yes. Because God loves them? Yes. But I also think this should be a main goal of ours. Verse 26. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Why should we long for people to encounter God and become worshipers of Him? Friends, it's because our God deserves glory. He deserves worship. And when people come to know Jesus, they're free to give God that which he deserves above all, glory. So I pray when people encounter you this week and beyond, that through your proclamation of the gospel, they are freed from addictions and greed and selfishness and other sins that entrap them. And I pray... When you see them live for Jesus, instead of those past idols, that we all are able to say, not us, not us, but we have seen Jesus do extraordinary things. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you once again that we've had this opportunity to gather together. And I pray that if there's anyone here who has never encountered your salvation, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would see that that is truly their greatest need. But God, I pray that we would be bold like the men in this text who wanted to get their friend to Jesus and refused to let any obstacle stand in their way in doing so. I pray that we would tear up some roofs if we need to 
that we would long for people to come and to encounter your son, that they could experience his forgiveness, and Father, that you would be glorified in their commitment to King Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. As we stand at this time to worship the Lord, if you have any type of need, if you need to talk or a prayer request or anything, you come as we sing the praises of our Lord.